the movies with Arch Campbell, Jen Cheney, and Lou Katz begins now. Hello there, I'm Lou Katz. Welcome to a very special episode of our At The Movies podcast. Now, Jen Cheney has the week off. However, Arch Campbell is here with a very special guest. This is a very unusual summer season, and who better to put it into context than our longtime friend, the chief film critic of The Washington Post, one of the leading voices of criticism in America, the author of Talking Pictures, How to Watch a Movie, and one of my favorite people in the world. Let's say hello to Anne Hornaday. Yes. Hi, Anne. So happy to talk to you again. This is such an unusual time, and the summer season has been delayed, and we are now getting our media from streaming. Do you think this closure of movie theaters will affect content? Is this going to change the way we watch stories? I think that's to be determined, but I can't imagine that it won't. You know, I'm finding that I really like watching 10 episodes of something instead of two hours of something. And that's what I hear. You know, that's what I'm hearing from my friends and family and, you know, people that I'm in touch with I think people are becoming more conditioned to that but then I also you know people do still miss going to the theaters but purely anecdotally this is not scientific but when people say I really miss going to the theater when they say that to me I feel like they mean the Avalon you know or yeah yeah the uptown I right I'm not picking up much nostalgia for the multiplex you know cattle cattle call experience because i feel like some people are okay with that experience some people really don't enjoy it you know they 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 think people are talking too much and cell phones are ringing and some Mm -hmm. some theaters are not well kept up enough some some of those big chains you know so i feel like that i feel like when people say i miss going to the movies they're talking about two completely different experiences but in a weird way i almost feel like even as beleaguered as they are and as narrow as their margins are I almost feel like the art houses and independent little independent theaters are better positioned to to bounce back because they do have that loyal community audience you know that are devoted to going there you wrote a column that really struck me and it was your column on missing uh going to the theaters and kind of leaving the question open when am I going to be uh, ready to go back and do that? And, right. Uh, like, like, like emotionally ready. Yeah. 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 And personally, sometimes I worry that I'll never go to a movie theater again mm-hmm. because I'm ancient. <laughs> I'm old. You're young. <laughs> For the opposite I'm, of that. <laughs> but, you know, in terms of your own comfort level, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Like, what will it take? I mean, we can take all those protective measures and social distance and wear our masks and engage in good protocols. But when will we be, you know, I, I, I think it'll take the vaccine to really feel completely liberated and like able to kind of lose yourself again. And there's that uh, experience of the film festival where you're in a crowd, cheek by jowl, talking to people you don't even know about what have you seen and what did you like? And, you know, that is just, that's just the, uh, what are you watching online? How, how are you, uh, you know, 
acclimating. You know, it's funny because the week that, that the lockdown happened, we pivoted right into streaming. There were a couple of really good streaming titles opening that week, um, including a charming little murder mystery called Blow the Man Down that's on Amazon. Yeah, which I saw and enjoyed. Which was just like a little, I mean, I've had so many gratifying, revelatory experiences watching especially emerging filmmakers who often will make a deal just to go straight to Netflix or straight to Amazon. And I would not have reviewed their movies otherwise because we're pretty tied to the theatrical model. So I'm kind of happy to be discovering, you know, the young women who did Blow the Man Down, Tyresha Poe, who did um, uh, Sella and the Spades, which I think announces a really exciting new talent on the scene. So I've been busy reviewing streaming movies but you know what I did I binged foils war I just went straight from beginning <laughs> to end because I've never done it linearly yes. like I, yes. I kind of and it's just what I needed that portrait of British you know <laughs> self-discipline and integrity and I mean it was just exactly the inspiration I needed so that was fun then I watched I just finished um Mrs. America the Kate Blanchett yeah 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 I wanted to ask you about that because you have a personal connection yeah, it was very strange <laughs> it was a strange I wasn't prepared for how emotional that experience would be just watching uh -huh people that, you know, many people in that movie, some of the figures, the feminist movement figures were people I know and knew and knew. Just because you worked for Ms. Magazine. I did. I worked at Ms. and I worked for Gloria Steinem for two mm -hmm. years as her assistant. So now I have that odd experience of, you know, feeling like they got it wrong. You know, like you, it's such a disorienting experience to watch your, not my life, but people with whom I'm very familiar be kind of reduced and dramatized for the for the purposes of narrative so the shoes on the you know it's interesting watching it through that lens i think well were were you a character in mrs america was well, there God, someone no, who was no, sort of the you absolutely not no but interestingly the events that it depicts happened i think uh maybe five five four or five years before i got there and i get in you know that's my first job i'm a fresh-faced college senior you know just minted newly minted college grad and i was so blissfully blithely dumbly unaware of what had just happened you know like that arrogance of youth you know that kind of like everything's fine and yay women's movement you know and, and i think they were still really reeling you know from from that experience and some of those heartbreaks so it's it's given me a very interesting perspective on even my years at Ms. and just how raw that probably still was for many of those women. And I just had no clue what they had been through. So well, the performance by Kate Blanchett is just is just riveting. I am not against women. I am not against women working outside the home. But what I am against is the women's liberation movement. It is riveting. That's a great, you're right. It's riveting. And the spotlight on, you know, that is an era of history. Uh, pardon, pardon my ERA <laughs> reference. It was an era of history that's kind of little known. That's really not, that's been kind of forgotten now. Uh, and so I found it really interesting to be reminded of the things that I, you know, I remember the period, but but I don't remember it. 
Right, exactly. It's the same. I mean, I was so young. I was still a teenager when those, and you know, Iowa, where I grew up, was one of the first mm -hmm. states to ratify the ERA. And at that time, the chairwoman of the Republican Party was a wonderful lady named Mary Louise Smith. And we had a fabulous Republican governor named Robert Ray. So the party was not nearly as ideological, at least in Iowa. And it, it wasn't nearly as ideological. Um, but this series tracks that pivot mm -hmm. when it did become something different than the, the Republican Party that I grew up in. You know, my fam my immediate family was all Republican. And so it's interesting from that perspective. I do think the emphasis was off in a lot of things. And I do think they got some things wrong. Um, about especially about Gloria that that mm. will always bother me but it was still I'm glad I watched it and it was fascinating and I also thought Margot Martindale did a fabulous oh, job oh god everything Asuna. she's in she's just great she's also in that blow the man down movie that I know and I discovered her in BoJack Horseman. Did you ever watch BoJack oh, Horseman? Yeah, I'm, I never did, and I need that's on my list. You know, I started and forgot about it, and somebody else, Jen Cheney, mentioned it to me, and I binged the whole thing, oh. six seasons, and it's brilliant. And Margot Martindale is a is a uh, a character in that. I have been watching Unorthodox, oh, which yeah, I could great not could not get away from I could I, it was just fabulous and unbelievable which I would highly recommend to you did you see unbelievable you know I started it and it was just so grim I couldn't I, I put it away I put it aside. I put it on the same wavelength as the keepers yes which we both loved and I do get the grim point though it is I just but it does it. redeem itself later on. I heard, and I am a huge Merritt Weaver fan. I'm actually yeah. her thing with Donald Gleason, the run, the HBO, uh -huh. um, which is I just I just adore her. So I will go back to it because I I have heard that very thing that yes, it's worth the investment, and um, she's just so fantastic, you know. So and now I'm hearing about something, and my plan is to try a French village. Have you heard of that? No, I'm intrigued. A French, it's on Amazon Prime. Ooh. It's in French. It's That's got okay. Anne Hornaday's name all over it. No, I'm, I'm, and it's I'm, the, I'm bad all day. It's the story of this village during World War II. Oh. And it is occupied by the Nazis. And I think it's 10 episodes. And it goes chronologically through the war years. Awesome. And uh, my my erudite friend uh, Bob Ryan, the weatherman, told me about a French village on Amazon Fabulous. Prime. Fabulous. So that's what. Now, while I've got you here, I want to say something and get your opinion. I am not a fan of the nineteen dollar and ninety five cent download. You know, uh, Invisible Man came up, uh, The Hunt came up, uh -huh. nineteen ninety five because I didn't get the link because I don't like to watch movies on my iPad. Mm -hmm. But but the $19.95 download to me uh, keeps, you know, the single person, the single viewer uh, away. What's your opinion? I, I totally agree. And um, I think that's why the kids' movies have done so well with that model because it's a mm -hmm. good value for a family, you know? Yeah, right. It makes total sense for multiple viewers in a house. Trolls. Yeah. And then I think mm -hmm. you get it for how long? A week? Yeah, uh, either uh, 72 hours or right. a week. 
So if you if you can make that work with the people in your house, then fine. But I think that yeah, if you're under if you're fewer than three people in a household, I don't see how that can make much sense. But they seem to be stuck on that. Are there box office figures for downloads now? How are they playing that old game, or is it over? That is, I haven't been tracking it closely, full disclosure. My sense is that it's still not terribly transparent. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think that's one, um, if, you know, my sense also, just in terms of the business, is that this is here to stay. That these virtual, you know, that, <laughs> that that longstanding argument between Netflix and the theaters about Windows is just like out, out the window uh-huh. now. There's going to be some virtual component, especially with festivals now, because I think what what the theaters that are doing these virtual downloads through their websites, like the Avalon and AFI mm-hmm. and Cinema Arts, they're getting viewers from all over the world. You know, I mean, mm. they're they're kind of pulling in a whole new audience that they would like to cultivate and nurture and keep around. So I think that transparency, that box office download transparency issue is going to become, that's going to become front burner for the creative people and, you know, the sales agents and things like that. It's just, I feel like the whole kind of way that they value, I'm interested in how, you know, off, often a film on the festival circuit with no distribution, that's how it gets distribution, right? It plays at Sundance or South yeah, West. Right. It might get picked up. And everything about that that movie's trajectory through the world is predicated on a theatrical, you know, unless they go to Netflix, is predicated on a, um, or Amazon, predicated mm-hmm. on a theatrical mm-hmm. opening. And then all the value that accrues through the life of that movie is kind of based on that. That's now, I think, I would imagine it's going to be completely reconfigured. That's very arcane, but it does ultimately affect what we all see and where and how. Number one, uh, you and I did a podcast for a couple of years, and I just, I one of my fondest memories is oh, being yeah. able to talk to you about what's on my mind every week or so. And so I just want to tell you what a great uh, personal pleasure it is to have a few words with you. Same here. And we're looking forward I mean, I'm not going to ask you to predict the future. I just, before we go, any words on the Uptown Theater? I am so upset about the Uptown Theater closing. See, I wanted Netflix to move into the Uptown and use it as their Washington premiere site. That would make a world of sense. Um, I haven't heard a Dickie Bird. That happened no. right during this whole thing. And and I did call, I did speak with a very nice young man at AMC Theaters who said this it was completely coincidental, the timing. I mean, I think there had been rumors of the of it mm-hmm. of them unloading it for a long time. Um, and so it wasn't a, a shock, but it was still disappointing. And um I'm with you. I think that would be a really creative solution or you know, having some kind of local consortium. I don't but but again that's what kind of business that's going to be going forward who knows i mean is this the is this a good time to get into theatrical or you know <laughs> i think if you're really creative and enterprising like a tim league you know the guy that's uh-huh. draft house mm-hmm. i mean that's what yeah it yeah like a visionary who can kind of reinvent it and because people still there will be a pent-up demand i mean i do feel people are going to be mm-hmm. eager to get back mm-hmm. in to that theater and have that experience. So it does make sense for someone, you know, to an entrepreneur to kind of take that uptown space and, and cause it's such a classic, that's what oh. people mean when they say I miss going to theaters. I drove by there the other day and it's just 
empty uh, dust on the marquee, nothing on the marquee, nothing anywhere, just empty, just abandoned. And yeah, yeah. And we, we must <laughs> breathe some life into it. And so, will you? First of all, it's just such a pleasure to talk to you, and God bless you, and I hope things are going well for you. Same, Arch. Thank you. And unconditional love. Same to you, my brother. Thanks for including me. It's great to see you. It's great to see you. Yeah, and thanks to Zoom. It's still nice to sort of be able to see one another during this crazy period. Coming up a week from now, we'll have a brand new At The Movies podcast when Archer turns, along with yours truly and Jen Chaney from WTOP and Vulture. But first, I thought we'd wrap up this special episode with the theme from Mrs. America. Ran during the opening credits. If you saw it, you'll know what I'm talking about. It was a disco song featured on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. Walter Murphy's A Fifth of Beethoven. Thanks for listening. This is the CATS Podcasting System.